Welcome to the Ethos Forum podcast. I'm your host, Mark Douglas, and today I'm talking with Professor Derek Richard. Many research organisations or universities are often criticised because they're not creating a culture of learning to lead, but it sounds like that, that you are doing that. You're encouraging your postdocs to take up team leadership positions and then those team leaders become group leaders. Do you offer professional development for these people as they move through that process? Yes, we, no, we certainly cover, uh, encourage all our team leaders, even our, our postdocs, because they learn as they go and they, they mature and, and come to the point when they become a team leader. But the important to me is is their leadership skills, their people skills, and their ability to actually drive their own research projects. Mm. The big step between a postdoc and a team leader is really that, not having to come and ask every time they want to do something, is this right, what do you think? And it's having the confidence actually to do those steps yourself and rely on somebody else giving you the thumbs up to, mm. to move on. And of course that transition also is that it's not just about their research, they're actually in a team leader role, they're enabling other people to succeed as well as themselves. That's quite a step for some researchers. Yes, no, and it is completely, and that's why I bring in professional development, uh, such as your your own organisation. We did a a, a course with your organisation last year, and there was a marked improvement in uh, actual confidence, personal confidence, I, I feel, and also by optimism of what the future looked like for them as team leaders. Derek, you're situated in this magnificent building, the Translation Research Institute. I remember when this was built, I was being shown around the facility and I was shown offices where companies would be based. Pharmaceutical companies would have an outpost in this. Now, I don't believe that's happened. Or has it? it well, it has actually. It's, it has happened. We, we have a number of small biotech companies are, are now present within the building. And, and to Excellent. a certain degree, it's actually been overly successful. So the, all the space that was assigned for startup companies to move into has now been occupied. So there's no spare mm. capacity at present. So it has been a bit of a success story. But the problem now lies within the, the Brisbane ecosystem is that there is nowhere for a new company to go. They have to invest in their own bricks and mortar if they're going to start up now. Uh, okay, so this was about nurturing new companies, but yep. uh, they're so comfortable here and there's nowhere else for them to grow that, that yeah. the, the pipeline isn't moving. Yeah, exactly, exactly. We need, we need the next stage. And, yeah. But no, our, our, our group, our t- uh, team, has two spin-out companies that we have. But we've, we've adopted a different model completely. We, we're, uh, those two companies, they're not a bricks-and-mortar company. They're virtual. They're virtual pharmaceutical companies. Mm. So rather than uh, investing capital into bricks and mortar, what the company actually does is it functions completely through contract research, R and D research, and, and primarily that comes back to the university system. Uh, so when you you're starting off with a company, what you don't want to do with your first five million is spend three million of that on a building mm. or equipment. So it's much more cash effective to actually operate as a virtual company and then just contract out uh, your research, uh, other teams of researchers, usually within the university or institute environment. And, and the benefit really there is you can work fast, your capital is effective from day one. Going on, you have access to all the top equipment, do your research, and, and it really makes you move faster. And there's been studies from the US showing that for every $1 virtual company spends, you need to spend four times that in a, in a real bricks mm. and mortar biotech company. So it's a very effective way of using cash. So once again, another disruptive model. 
that, but uh, a far more efficient way Exa- of doing exactly. it, moving it, from the traditional. Yeah, and, and it wouldn't be a very common model in Australia, what we're doing. It's more common in the US, and indeed, indeed in parts of Europe, it's a more common model now, an emerging model. But it's, uh, it's a way universities and, and uh, new companies are in a win-win situation. Finally, Derek, uh, as you look into the crystal ball, you've, t- you've spoken about disruption of research, disruption of universities, even in the nature of your own team. Where do you see research going, particularly medical research, because that's your biomedical research, that's your field? Do you, you look ahead to 20 or 30 years, do you see further disruption taking place? And what is part of the, the future? Yeah, I, I think the, the market, the university sector is ripe for disruption. You know, currently the old models are not working. Uh, funding has become tighter uh, in many aspects of what we do. Career future of academics looks bleaker now than it did even uh, 10 years ago when we look at NHMRC funding. In, in real terms, it has actually not increased since John Howard left uh, government. So I think as biologists, we know the, the word evolution is an important part of uh, life around us. And I think as academics, we really need to evolve. You know, if you don't evolve with the times, if you don't adapt your model of research of how you find your funding for your research, you are going to become extinct. You are a sufferer. You're going to lose your research momentum. So you've got to change. You've got to adapt. And I think that's a message that needs to to be brought more broadly applied. And universities also have to look at this and and really uh, have a have a look at how they're going to move forward in the next not in the next year the next two years but in the next 10 years what does the future look like how are you going to adapt to that future uh, we don't need to get rid of everything uh, some things work really well still but let's look at different things and I think we need to as a sector look at engaging industry much more closely than we do or have done in the past so industry is going to be part of that evolution indeed some of what they want will drive that evolution exactly exactly and if we sit within universities um, and you can really uh, have a look at the old traditional models really an ivory tower approach you know you, you're sitting there you're working week on week out you're producing papers you're having real no connection with the public no connection really with industry and I think we have a lot of potential, we have a lot of resources, and, and we have some extremely intelligent people in Australia. And I think the country as a whole should be capitalising on that, that uh, capabilities and capacity a lot more, and really allowing us to, as universities, mm-hmm. to engage with industry and have these really strong working partnerships where we're working together to solve a solution. So our outcome should not be publications solely. In publications, increase the body of knowledge, but without applying that body of knowledge to a real-world solution, then we aren't actually doing uh, any good. And I I think that's the missing part that we need to really capitalise on. I've heard some people even challenge the notion of journal publications um, because they tend to hold things back and uh, uh, prevent some of that evolution. Do Do you see a place always for these uh, discipline-focused journal publications? I think there always will be a place for journal publications because they allow you to increase the body of knowledge. So it allows you to disseminate your work rather quickly throughout the world mm. to other, other groups. Mm. Um, does it hold back? Well, you know, 
publications are, are still driven towards academic outputs, not necessarily public health outputs, medical outputs or, or industrial outputs. Um, so maybe we might see the way journals are coming evolve and the types of papers we produce evolve over time. Uh, I think there's always going to be a place for them, but there's got to be more. There's got to be another thing that we're working towards. Derek, uh, this conversation has been very much around a theme of change and evolution. Um, look, thank you very much for speaking to the Ethos Forum yeah. today. Thank you very much, Mark. Sorry.